Hi, everybody. Welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, episode five today. We do appreciate everybody listening to previous episodes, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, and watching on the Softball Strength Academy page. Cross Functionality, of course, the show where coaching intersects male and female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players. My name is Jim, by the way. I always fail to mention my name every single week on both of my podcasts. Let me bring in former softball national champion, current day renowned coach, Cassie Riley Bosha, fresh off her Florida vacation. Mm. Cassie, how are you? Doing well. I'm thankful for some New York weather around 75 degrees today. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, everybody says, oh, you, when I say, oh, I live in Tampa, I live in Florida, right? They're, oh, that's near St. Petersburg. Yes, yes it is. You must live near the water, sort of. It must be great down there with the weather. No, not in the summer. <laughs> It's, you know, it reminds me of, I stayed in Alabama for two summers and just how the winter is in the Northeast where you go from wherever you're working to your car to wherever yeah. you're living. Like you don't spend time outside in the summer. You don't spend time outside in the winter. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there is one good thing though. And you probably got this when you were in Tuscaloosa, no snow. I don't yeah. know. Do they get snow in Alabama? Maybe they Every do. now and then you'll okay. get like a chance of an inch and they'll shut everything down and everyone okay. gets so excited. So like every now and then you still, you do get that. <laughs> I haven't had to wipe snow or scrape snow off my car in about seven years. And I've gone through a couple of new iterations with the car and the leasing and everything else. And it's good not having to scrape snow when your hands are, are, are chilly and freezing. Mm. And you're getting frostbite. You know, I might have forgotten it exists, but when you don't tuck your pants over your boots and you go to wipe snow off the top of your car and it falls inside mm -hmm. your boots, that's yeah. another good one. <laughs> the only time I like snow is when I'm skiing. And I haven't skied in many, many years. I've mm -hmm. traded the skis in for the jet skis. There you go. Ride them to the palm tree. Mm -hmm. Um, So today, episode five, we're talking about the road to the national championship part one. So we're going to focus a lot on the offseason. Last week, you touched on becoming a leader, your sophomore and junior year. And you you talked about a great story with the tornado and um, having to navigate through that. And we'll get to all that in just a second. But I read a story this week, and I actually thought of you and Jake, Jake Epstein, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. And the first thing I thought of, what, as you guys as coaches, what you have to go through. This story was about Sean McVay. It was written who was written by so i apologize but it was on espn.com this week and there's a couple of things that stuck out and i want to get your opinion on this there's a quote that he said mcveigh to the reporter that that i can't it sticks in my brain the quote was i'm happiest when i'm unhappy hmm. and to me sean mcveigh being as successful as he is at such a young age he actually only a couple of years older than us. He probably would have been like a senior if he was on our on our collegiate teams. And to him, for him to have as much success as he's had, uh, getting inside the mind of a coach, you know, sometimes we look at some of these coaches, these players as simple people, very, very simple people. But there's a paradox to that where they're so simple, yet they're very complicated in their profession, meaning coaching. And I think that quote, happiest when unhappy, kind of solidifies my opinion on that it's almost it almost reminds me of uh the best talk about feeling addicted to stress and if mm -hmm. they didn't feel that tiny tremor of stress that almost made them feel like they were comfortable and that mm -hmm. they were sitting back and that well there has to be more i need to be doing and you know that uh dissatisfaction of like well there's always more there's always more there's always more and when they are in that state of like desiring more and pushing for more that is when they are happiest maybe 
Um, so I don't know. It, it is, that is interesting. And that is an interesting, I think, uh, balance that we're all trying to figure out where does the happy medium exist? Yeah. Because for those who don't know, I, I've been asked before, unfortunately, uh, for the coaching profession across America and the world. If I was a coach on my other podcast, I'm not, <laughs> I can't do what you guys do. And what you guys do is, uh, very, very hard. Um, but, notwithstanding it feels like i've gotten into the mind of plenty of coaches i've talked to many of friends who are coaches and it feels like to me there's a never-ending to-do list with you guys with coaches we have to do this we have to do this one of the things that was highlighted in the article about sean mcveigh was that he had a list of 200 clips that he had to watch mm. and instead of going to bed he went to his office and watched those clips and it just feels like you guys are never really finished and i think it's that competitive edge um, that you guys, that coaches have that you just can't really get rid of. It's kind of a lot. Somebody told me this before working in sports, uh, a baseball manager, actually working in sports or whatever you're doing, it's a lifestyle and, and coaching is right atop of that. Uh, you know what? It's actually that right there is probably one of the reasons I decided not to go into coaching a team as my career. I coach mm -hmm. at a private level, but I, it almost felt like a little bit like an illness that I almost didn't know how to treat where it wasn't, I, I, it was almost preferable to not have family in town. It was almost preferable to not have friends. It was almost preferable to just be in my lane and focus on what I have to do. And every single waking moment of my day was dedicated to that. And it's very difficult to come out of that. And then you, I almost, you know, when, when you do, when you retire, obviously when you're done playing, you're like, okay, how do I function now? And I, I felt uh, that if I picked coaching on a team as a profession, I, I might've not been able to balance myself as well and that would have probably been the only thing i would have dedicated myself to not that there's anything wrong with it but i just knew that that wasn't what i wanted for my entire life but i yankees, did feel that. yeah and and you know this as a yankees fan the yankees do something in their player development i think a lot of teams are starting to pick up on this in major league baseball obviously the nfl has been doing it for years the nba um the Yankees, though, they, they set a program aside in, in their player development department to take former players who, who certainly weren't going to make it to the major leagues. They were guys who probably were going to cap out at, at AA. They're organizational guys, as it were. And those guys, uh, Kevin Reese, for example, even though he didn't make it to the major league level with the Yankees, but he certainly didn't make much of an impact, he has become the director of player development with the Yankees. And a lot of the former players in the minor leagues, they go into coaching, but there's a program for them to learn. NFL Films has a great broadcasting program for former players as well, where they learn everything about how to broadcast, mm -hmm. whether it be podcasting, radio, television. They go through that boot camp, and the Yankees have something very similar with players transitioning to being coaches. Because I think a lot, and you can speak to this, I think a lot of people, a lot of former players, any sport, they go into retirement thing. Okay, I'm going to go into coaching now, but there's so much more than just teaching. Mm. Teaching is the vital, main vital part, I would think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's so much more, so many little skills you have to learn to become the most successful coach you can be. Yeah, I think it does depend on the type of coach you want to be. Um, mm -hmm. I I love the teaching aspect of it. There's other who love the progressional aspect where they want to take someone from when they're younger and progress, progress, progress. And then, sure. and then I think there's certain coaches that are just really good managers and of, of different personalities and they like bringing people together. Not that they lack completely in other skills. It's just, that's the one that rises to the top. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do think it, it depends on the type of coach, but yeah, I, at least at the private level, 
if you're having people come in on a one-on-one or a small group scale, uh, teaching and progressing has to be probably the forefront of what you're at least passionate about to learn more about and get better at for sure. So I'm going to tell, tell you a little quick little story here. I think this is, you know, one of, one of many that I'm sure we'll progress through as we move along here with the show and each episode. When I worked for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I was working six days a week a couple of days ago, or a couple of days ago, yeah, uh, a couple of uh, years ago. Uh, I worked for the Buccaneers doing game day uh, assistant as a you know, their communications department. So I got to, you know, go down to the locker room post game, pregame and whatnot. And anyway, getting that chance to do that, I saw a lot of coaches in the way the NFL operates. And I got a chance to run into Bruce Arians, right? Everybody thinks Tom Brady is the guy you don't want. You walk on eggshells around. So the aura of Tom Brady knows the aura of Bruce Arians, you know, cross, you know, cross the boss. And the one thing I noticed about Arians, he's very simple, but he's also so laser focused and so competitive. And you just see it in his eyes, that fire, that competitive fire wanting to win. That when people ask, why would coaches ever go into that profession? Because it's such a, it's such an unbalanced profession. Because you never know when you're going to get fired. You never know when you're going to lose your job, your livelihood. It's going to be uprooted. But I understand it because I get to see some of the I got to see some of the best coaches across sports. I'm talking to one right now that live that lifestyle of having that competitive fire, I think, 24 seven. Yeah, I I mean, it's one of those things where I think it's I I had mentioned it when I was trying to figure out where I was going to go to college. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I stay home? Do I go to a smaller school or do I go for it at Alabama? And I think these coaches and people who find themselves in those positions know, you know what, if I don't do this, if I don't give it a go, I'm going to have that tug at me every time I go to bed at night where it's like, well, could I have done this? Like I had the opportunity to experience this, to potentially win this, to do something. And I I didn't take it. You know, I I just wonder if that that's where they'll, they'll feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sean McVay gave us some good opening material today. So thank you, Sean. Happiest when unhappy. (laughs) A lot of stretches across a lot of areas sometimes in life. I think so. I think so. Cross functionality episode five today, Road to the National Championship Part One. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube page, Softball Strength Academy, for full episodes to watch the show and on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music on the audio side. All right, let's get into today's main topic, episode five. Uh, Going into, we fell short, right? Sophomore, junior year. Going into your senior year now, the summer of your senior year, there had to be, and you already took a leadership role as you talked about last week. What was now the mindset summer going into fall of your senior year? Mind you, that was in 2011. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was uh, definitely, there's no surprises at this point. You're not surprised by the conditioning test you're not surprised by any weightlifting that you have to do this is it's one of those things where you're sitting there and you're like how is that how is it possible that one i'm already a senior because the the four years of your collegiate career typically fly and how is it that we only have one more chance to do this thing um and i think everyone felt really good that we had a solid senior class we had six seniors who had gotten significant playing time nobody transferred in nobody transferred out um and i think that's that's valuable to have. Uh, we also had a really good camaraderie amongst us as well. So we, uh, we didn't graduate a ton. Uh, we graduated two athletes, one of which was coming back to be a student manager. So I think a lot of us were like, all right, (laughs) this is it. We have everyone back. And we just wanted to, we were so eager to hit the ground running 
And we kept, I think a lot of us thought like, okay, we have like the same team or similar team when in actuality, that was probably a big mistake that hurt us early on because even if we had the exact same athletes, the team is different than the year before. It's still girls a year older or had already played together. And um, you can't try to do things almost identical. Like we had to find our own way. We had to take the time to let that team develop and you know, we were eager to just get going. Yeah, sometimes the the best, not really sometimes, it's always, I think, the best bosses, and you know this, let their their employees do their job. And sometimes they, they like to delegate a big portion of their duties to those mm-hmm. employees to maximize their value. And I'm wondering with your coach, your head coach at the time, and you, you becoming now senior, you're the leader, what kind of duties did he delegate to you guys, you, a couple of other teammates, where you could now form a plan for the younger, younger underclassmen and the people coming in, although there, as you mentioned, there weren't many, but the new teammates, um, getting them acclimated to just the way of the University of Alabama softball. Yeah, you know, it was actually a very interesting dynamic because our coaches kind of came in like, "Hey, how's our team going to receive us right now?" Because mm-hmm. they had just left; they had just left to go play to coach at LSU, and then they decided to come back um, at the end of my junior year. And so we're in that summer now, and uh, we had a very interesting dynamic, but I think that allowed so many vulnerabilities to come come through. And it wasn't this, okay, well, all my coaches and athletes, like, all right, we all went through kind of this together. Um, and he, our coach would always have classes over for dinner. And so he had the senior class over for dinner one day, and he was like, what do you think we should use? Should we use last year's loss against Florida? Should we – use any of these things that happened to us in the past should we and and we really just obviously got on the same page as to what we wanted the ethos of the team to look like what a successful freshman class would look like for us um defining success as more their comfort with being a part of the team instead of their performance on the field and they just did such a good job i think of planting those seeds within us and then letting it grow into however we were going to carry it okay so now talking physically with you individually as a player what were you doing um, to uh, fix your approach if you had to? I'm not saying you had a bad year, your junior year, you certainly did not. But was there any tweaks, any changes that you were making to your offensive approach um, that could set you up for more success your senior year? Uh, for sure. I, I actually had one of my bigger slumps my junior year. And the first thing I did is I went and got my eyes checked and I needed contacts. So that was a big I – couldn't, I could not get over how much that helped going into my fall worked with my hitting coach whenever I was home. That's, that's a big help. And then I actually started a hitting journal, which I like, you know, I've always journaled sparingly, but I I officially had a leather bound journal that I was like, I'm going to write down what I work, what I'm feeling like, what I worked on my physical and mental goals for each day. And then the weight room by that time, I felt like my trainer, uh, my strength coach, my doctor and I all were on the same page as what I needed to do to keep my back together yeah. <laughs> for the course of the, yeah. the one more year and um and just stay healthy and be as strong as i could going into into that year so i think communication got better um and also just reflecting on okay this has worked this this didn't work i really liked this hitting drill series um and just started going from there we got good news for everybody because later on in the weeks as we progress we will be talking about a hitting journal and players recording whatever that may be in their hitting journal. How did that help you? Let's get a little preview though. How did that help you um, offensively 
keeping yourself in check physically and both mentally when you were writing in that hitting journal? You know, I felt like my junior year, I had gotten, I had gone, my swing had gone one way and I didn't mm -hmm. catch it till it was really far off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the time I caught it, I thought this is going to take me over a month to start to feel better again. And when you're in the middle of season mm -hmm. and you feel off about your swing, it's such a lonely feeling because I just never wanted to feel that again. So what I had said was I'm going to have these minor deviations, but I want to catch them right away. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think the journal allowed me to do is, Hey, you know what? I am hitting the end of the bat on the outside curveball um, from a lefty and a screwball from a righty. That was an indication last year that I was pulling off way too soon. I'm going to do this drill, this drill, and this drill, uh, like maybe uh, top hand opposite field extensions, work on two-handed split grip opposite field extension holds, and then go right into a regular uh, outside pitch off the tee. And I'm going to see how that translates on the field. And then I'd come back from a practice or a game and I'd say, hey, you know what? I really felt much better connection to my back hip. And I think this progression helped. And I'd star it. And I'd put like a little thing in the column that's like feeling like I'm pulling off or grounding out weakly to the right side. And it almost became this reference of like later on in the season when you're when you feel this close to the whiteboard where it's right in front of your nose, it was a way for me to be able to step back and kind of be like, OK, hang on. I, I gave myself a roadmap to deal with this already. Well, you're and you're almost you're coaching yourself, and mm -hmm. I think that that's the one of the biggest benefits for any coach that's coaching a group, whether it be on the side at an academy like you, um, professional players, college players. If someone can coach themselves and understand what they're doing, not just at the plate but on the mound in the field, um, what they're doing at their safety spot in the NFL or college football. Mm -hmm. UAB University of Alabama. <laughs> uh, I think that's a huge benefit, and that 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 actually points to the job that that coach is doing, mm. positive and negative. Yeah, I think uh, you know we hitting wasn't because like think that's that's about ten years ago now. Yeah, hitting was just not the same, and and you could probably shed light on that too. Some technology ex technology existed, but there was nothing that went on the knob of your bat. There was no Rapsodos. There was no Trackman. There was no K-Vests. There was nothing that was going to give you a measurement of how you were doing. And so much was based off of feel. So much was based off of video. Like, right, you're just watching video. And then the conversations you have with your coach, and that was a hitting coach, or that was how hitting is was done. Yeah. And it is so completely different now how a hitter learns or how a hitter interprets the feel of their swing. Um but I am thankful that that is when I went through it because you can always learn technology, but you can't always learn feel. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad I had an opportunity to do that. Yeah. And, you know, on your Instagram, you post a lot of drills and a lot of explanations. You don't post much about technology. And I like that. Um, technology certainly is a huge tool to things. But I sometimes think, and we're going to kind of go down the rabbit hole here for a second, but it has to be talked about. And we'll talk about it in later episodes more in depth. It, it hitting hitters they become robots in both sports and mm -hmm. i think you and i were at playing at the time and, and um in the early what 2010s right where technology was coming into play as you mentioned but it wasn't really at the forefront of things so there was still that natural feel and i think keeping a hitting journal sort of helped more with that natural feel because now you could put it in your memory bank when something was felt right and when something certainly did not and was the opposite mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, 
You know what else too? Uh, journaling in general is a practice where if there's something on your mind and you mm -hmm. start writing it down and just putting it somewhere, you're, it almost like puts your brain at ease where it's like, all right, well, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about, I don't have to keep this on my mind as much. It almost like takes it out of your brain, puts it somewhere else. And so if, if I was ever worried about my swing, worried about how something was feeling, the second I wrote it down, it was almost like, okay, I'm going to put a pin in this and, and worry about this later um, and be able to get back to, you know, maybe focusing on defense, focusing on team culture, focusing on academics, focusing on something else that wasn't hitting or what was bothering me about my swing. Yeah. Cause hitting can, it, it, it gets around your brain and it does, it just doesn't let go. Yeah. Our coach One always used things. to say, get, get your socks out of the top drawer and just swing. And, and he was, he was, he still is. He's a guy who thinks like you can get yourself into a state of a clear mind and you're going to give yourself a much better chance for success. And um, there's going to be, two schools of thought and they don't have to be old or new school, just some where it's an over-involved breakdown the swing hitting coach and some where it's, Hey, let's see where this hitter can get to um, when we, when we clear all the paths for them to get to the right. And, and to get those great videos on a daily basis, be sure to follow coach <laughs> underscore Cassie RV on Instagram. I'm at Jim Tara as well, Thank but you. I'm not as, I'm not as interesting. Unfortunately. <laughs> haven't uh, figured out the Instagram game yet. All right, let's talk about your uh, mindset now and, and how things were going in the fall. Mm -hmm. Fall practices. How did you guys feel uh, when September and October rolled around and you're going through those fall practices and new people are being integrated? Um, and, you know, the, the season Feb starting in February, it's right, pretty much right around the corner. I mean, it comes very, very fast. What, what was, how did you guys feel? What was the mindset at that point? our team got along really well. And I think mm -hmm. that just makes things so much easier when you show up at practice and you don't care who you're paired up with, who you're sitting next to, you just start to genuinely enjoy everybody. That's usually a good sign, especially mm -hmm. on a, especially with females. Um, so we felt really, really good. Uh, but we started to notice that I think, I think everyone started to feel pressure of like, Oh, this is the year we have to do this. We have to do this. We have to do this. Everyone's expecting us to do this. And I think we may, may have lost a little sight of, what was important now, which was just taking care of today and then moving mm -hmm. on and taking care of the next day, because we went to Western Kentucky and, and the, the team that beat us is oh, Murray state. Murray state beats us in the fall. And we come off that game. Like what just happened? What, how, like, like we all just played so tense. We played to not strike out. We played to not make an error and we didn't play like the team. We were certainly talented enough to play like. Mm -hmm. So of course, that thank goodness things like that do happen because we get to experience a loss that didn't really technically count against or for anything. And then, but have it really kick us in the butt enough to reset our leadership approach, reset our practice approach. And then, you know, the senior class really did come together, I think, and, and did some really cool leadership things after that in the fall to help out. Okay. So to give more context to people, no, no disrespect to Kentucky because they consider themselves the South. I, I don't really understand that, but okay, fine. Um, and I live in the South, so I get it. But I played Moorhead State in Moorhead State when I was a sophomore. There is nothing around Moorhead State in Kentucky. Um, Phil Sims went there, by the way. Outside their football team in their football stadium, there's really nothing around there. And it's not easy for a team like in Alabama, like, you know, whatever, to go into Moorhead State and have nothing around and you're kind of in the middle of nowhere 
and play and for us it was very swampy because it was raining a lot that weekend to go in there and actually play and they already have the automatic home field advantage i don't think people understand how hard that really is it's very hard to go into a moorhead state like that you're not going to ucla for god's sake yeah it's kentucky no no and it's, it's not you know it's like i said it's but it's one of those things where it's like okay do you play your opponent or do you play against yourself and that right. was really where we defined you play a nameless faceless opponent every time and our objective is to see how good we can get this team mm-hmm. so it didn't matter if we were playing number one team in the country or if we we're playing a team that was never ranked before that was if anything that was the biggest disrespect to an opponent we could have possibly done is not give them our best game so there's like huge learning lessons that happen right away. And actually the senior class got together and we would hold 10 minute meetings before every Monday of practice. And we said, mm-hmm. okay, we have four more weeks of fall ball left. Let's pick, we're going to pick an objective for every week of the fall. And we decided that the number one thing that we had to work on was communication in that first week. And we said, okay, who here does a great job at communicating? And we had a senior catcher, a senior center fielder, um, and then we said, okay, cool. Who needs to get better at communicating in order for us to actually win this thing? And that's a much harder conversation, but it, it all of a sudden a second baseman who's a sophomore says, you know, yeah, I, I need to. And a freshman who has barely spoken says, I really want to. And so now those four athletes are in charge of us getting better at communicating that week. And it almost gave them, it gave people who are a little bit more quiet, the push they needed to speak up. And it gave the, you know, the, the other people on the team that were really good at it, like a stage to showcase how good they were at it. And so that was super cool. We picked something different every week of the fall. And I think that was, that was important for a lot of reasons, but especially that it wasn't forced by a coach. This was something that came from the team and the team wanted to follow through with. It sounds like you're using your wisdom. I I always get made fun of for using that word. I like that (laughs) word. I think I, I like the concept, but it sounds like you're using your wisdom in the fall to get new players and to get really everybody on the same page and understand what the main goal is. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know what, we had such a great senior class my freshman year. We, yeah. we had so many cool athletes that I think I got to play, that our senior class got to play with that we wanted to then expose this team to. And so that was, I guess, our way of doing it. Like, all right, so much has been poured into us. What can we do to pour back into it? And, you know what, our coaching staff does do a very cool thing where it says, what are you bringing to the table this year? And it has to be an intangible. And they talk about how, you know, a tangible is, is something that you can measure. It's it's our home runs, our stolen bases. He goes, I don't care about that right now. What is one intangible that you're going to bring to the table? Um, and that's always very neat to, to hear what everyone is, is, is planning on bringing. So, yeah. And so going into, by the way, I, I want to ask this because uh, – I don't want, you know, I don't want people to think we're like robots here and we're just, you know, baseball and softball all the time. Although I do watch a, a lot of baseball, almost very unhealthy, but um, I do have the, a question and I want you to just present this to the audience. What did you do in your spare time, your senior year? Cause there's some senior activities that you just, it's hard to miss out on, especially in the fall, Friday, Saturday, you know, with college football and, and going to games, but other stuff as well as much as you can tell everybody what were you doing on the side that gave levity to the softball i don't you know what i my i had i don't think i had many friends outside of softball and that okay. was that was choice so if, if we had a lot of girls on the team that didn't drink or had never drank or wasn't really interested in partying and people were kind of shocked by that 
at the University of Alabama and a year of football won a national championship. Go out Friday, Friday nights. We would set up our spot on the quad where we were going to tailgate. <laughs> we'd show up Saturday. We'd, we'd tailgate. And again, when you're in public, a lot of people knew that was the softball team. And so if anyone was drinking or anyone was doing something, it was never in public. It was, it was always within the confines of a home. We would, if the team was away, we'd watch the game together. We'd watch, we'd have din team dinners together and watch movies. They're really, that was it. There really wasn't, it's not that entertaining. <laughs> we didn't. And that wasn't like, you know, we weren't hammered into our head. Like, Oh, we have to stick together all the time in order to win it. I don't know. You just start, sort of find yourself around like-minded people. And I think that was also just the culture of the girls on the team at the time. There wasn't anyone who was really interested in, in much outside of that. I think that a lot of young kids, especially now seeing their friends on Snapchat and TikTok and, and doing what they're doing outside of school, outside of softball, outside of basketball, whatever the sport may be. A, a lot of young kids can probably relate to what you're saying. And I think it's a good thing that you said all of that because mm -hmm. Um, I, I think people are, are looking for that that outlet like I'm not the only one. I don't want to feel like I'm the only athlete here that is living the straight edge, if you will, straight edge lifestyle of not drinking and, and not doing these extracurricular activities that may affect my on field play. Yeah. And you know what? I don't need a lot of people well, because and, and, and the yeah. thing about it, too, is that when you get to college or when you're a college athlete, there's this picture that's painted about you that you just party all the time. And if coming from a male perspective, you're the women are throwing themselves at you and you're getting this perk and this perk because you're a student athlete. I don't think that's, I, I know it's not fully the case. It's yeah. And of course it's not like, right. Every, every stereotype has it's, there's a reason they exist, but there's a limitation that's probably like the top one or 2%. And um, I think too, like we actually had a lot of people on our team that chose not to drink, not because of softball. It was because that was just, they didn't, they just didn't want to. And, um, I, the other thing too, I had people at home be like, don't you feel like you're missing out on the college experience? And I would return it with, I feel like everybody else is missing out on my experience of mm. being a division one athlete of yeah. having an opportunity to win a national championship of I don't know. That was how I, that's always how I viewed it. They, I, we had an opportunity to experience winning it all and not a single person at that campus that wasn't an athlete had that opportunity. So of course I'm going to be doing things differently than they are. And that was okay. Yeah. To be around people like that, because I think a lot of athletes at lower levels of college just kind of look at their sport, whatever that is as a job. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to go to do this today, but that doesn't come, come across from what you're saying. It, it what, comes across to me and i think it should come across to the audience is your drive your constant passion to want to get better to want to win and to live and by the way you seem very proud to live that athlete type lifestyle of being straight living on a straight line and doing what you need to do yeah and you know i our our coaching staff really instilled that attitude of gratitude right like right look at everything you get look at everything you're afforded look at every opportunity look at and, and they really, you can't fake that. You can't, you can't be a coach and be miserable with your life. And then look at your athletes and be like, be thankful for what you have. Like it, it wouldn't translate. So the fact that they were genuinely appreciative, it really does go from, okay, I have to go do this to like, you know what? 
I get to do this. I get to, I get the opportunity to win a national championship. I get the opportunity to get an education. I get the opportunity to wear this cool Nike gear, like all these things. I get the, I get to go to practice. I get to one. And then all of a sudden you start to like find yourself in of like, well, now I, I want to do these things and I want to go to weights. And I, cause that means we're getting better, you know, and it, it seems crazy. And like, but to be honest, that really does pull people out of this bad, bad mood or this bad state. And it doesn't have to be, I think some coaches get overwhelmed where they're trying to pull the, the, the worst of the worst on the team or the people with the worst attitudes out of it. You really have to foster and take care of the, the leaders mm-hmm. because most of the team will follow suit. And if you have a team that, you know, of people who are competitive enough, you're going to get everybody to eventually follow on board with that as well. Which is somewhat ironic with some, some people, you know, who used to, hate lifting when those those early morning lifts when they're college athletes and here they are now lifting as much as they do or working out not everybody certainly but there are some that used to hate it and now in their regular life their adult life if you will professional life it's something they fit into their schedule mm. yeah the ironies of life no, it's i know it i know it yeah so i always i always think of that from i have to to i get to to i want to and i always try to keep a red flag when i feel myself saying okay i have to go do this this and this yeah i try to, I try to take pause still and, and i hope that stays a part of my life so okay the one question i have on my mind going through the fall now and now we're at the winter stages and we've talked about meetings that you've had with your coaches one-on-one getting ready for the season, what you're supposed to do over winter break to get ready for the, that opening game in February. Uh, there's something that in in this podcasting business, for those who don't know, it's called a content calendar. If you create a content calendar, it's telling you when to post certain things. And some people even take it a step further and have it automatically posted for them on, I don't know, name the social media site, TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm wondering with you and with college athletes, if they should do this, do you recommend creating somewhat of a calendar um, for certain key moments, key events um, that in the, in the fall, in the winter that, and key points you need to hit to get ready for the season? So, yeah, I, I think probably as a coach, I, I know for sure Murphy had something along those lines where he knew right around Thanksgiving break, mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z should have been done. And, you know, this activity will, works really well around this time. And, you know, right before they leave for December, I'm going to show them this video and, and really teach this lesson. And, and I think he definitely had that set up. Um, as athletes, I think any type of, anytime you can be organized and you can like have that prep work be taken care of ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It's just one less thing that you have to be thinking about all the time. Um, but yeah, there was certainly going into winter break. We wanted everyone to be able to, First, you look at like, I think health, right? Like Mm -hmm. how healthy is our team? What injuries do we have going on? And then you look at, okay, well, how's our team doing in shape? Uh, How is our skill on the field? How are infield, outfield and pitching all meshing together? And then how's our hitting developing with that? But then you have a completely different checklist when it comes to what's the culture look like of of girls on the team? Is is there any like, uh, you know, is there any resentment that someone feels towards another? Is there any issues we have to worry about? Um, How's how's the mental state of our team doing is someone homesick is a freshman failing a class is, you know, so those are things that I think coaches will have their antennas up about one aspect of it. And then I think leaders on the team will have their antennas up about others, but I never had a physical calendar for it. I think it was just hopefully with that experience, you get an idea of like, okay, 
your internal clock starts going off a little bit. Well, but, and there's a reason I brought this up because a couple of years ago, I said to somebody in, uh, during Blue Jay spring training, I, I said to my boss, my former boss, actually, I said to him, I said, Mike, you know, uh, the, they need to be at this point in spring training if they're going to have any sort of success this year. And he kind of looked at me and said, well, these games, I mean, he looked at me like I was an idiot. And he's like, these games don't matter, you know, and, and we actually, we laughed, we laughed about it a few years you know, a few years later. But my, my whole point to, to that was there are certain points that a team must hit on the field that makes you feel comfortable that they're going to have a good year. I believe, I certainly believe that's the case in spring training. I don't know my, I don't know about the NFL or college football or the NBA or basketball hockey, but what I do know in baseball, I think in spring training, you have to hit certain points, pitchers individually, hitters individually, and team has to hit a certain point, whether it be in the middle of March, the end of March, that indicates we're going to get off to a great start. We're going to have a good year. Was there something in fall ball, something in the fall of 2000, the winter of 2011, your senior year, certain dates that you guys knew you needed to hit and knew, hey, this is where we need to be physically and where we need to be mentally to go into January, go into that opening game, that opening weekend, February, and have success? Hmm. Uh, great question. I I think to us, it was probably in the weight room. It was, we had a, a, a leg type circuit that we, we would do. And when I started to see freshmen being able to put the 20, 30, 40 pound vest on with this type of circuit, I was like, okay, it's, they're, it's working. They're recovering the right way. We're progressing the right way. Our, our team is moving along in the right way. Um, as far as when we were on the field, believe it or not, it was when either a freshman would get up to the plate Mm-hmm. And I I saw the the senior that got taken out or the junior that got taken out so the freshman could have that at bat. Mm-hmm. I saw and I got to witness her reaction and how the team reacted to it. That's when I knew I'm like, okay, everyone's putting their ego aside. And it's very much so a we over me mentality right now. And so that was those those little moments, although they seem small, or just how our team was celebrating for another person, how our team was celebrating for like very unselfishly mm-hmm. uh, in games. That those were, if we could get that in the fall, those were clear indications to me like we were headed in, in a really good direction. Um, if we weren't, there were some years that we didn't even get that come like our first couple of games of the season, and I felt very behind on those years for sure. Yeah. Well, good stuff this week. Next week, we will dive right into the national championship season. We're going to talk about um, a little bit about the regular season, but more so about the tournament, the SEC tournament, and then going into the national championship the day of the game, what your mindset was, and of course, winning the whole thing and how that felt afterwards um, and what that led to as well so a jam-packed show next week cross functionality that'll be episode six i hope everybody enjoyed episode five today be sure to subscribe to the softball strength academy youtube page to watch full shows i mean that's where the money is i say that on my other podcasts all the time that's where the money is watch the show to watch it yeah you can listen all you want listening listening's great but you want to watch the show. If you do want to listen to Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon music as well, email us Jimbo podcast, 21 gmail.com for any of your questions pertaining to really anything, but of course the national championship and winning it next week, we're really going to dive into that. It's going to be like a mental examination, if you will, cool. it's going to be like a psychologist figuring, trying to get inside your mind of winning a <laughs> national championship. Not many people get to do that. So I am saying That'll be next week. And don't forget, I want to quickly uh, promote the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. We did a this past week, Monday, 
we did a mechanical breakdown of Tony Gwynn. Epp and I had a debate, Cassio. Epp seems to think that Tony Gwynn was not the best hitter for many years on his team on the Padres. Hmm. Who is better? He, uh, well, he said he, Ken Caminetti. Yeah. Steve Finley, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Right. Con- Gwyn was a con. We debated that, though, so I think everybody should listen to the Lab Epstein right, right, podcast. Right. <laughs> Apple, Google, Spotify. Awesome. Uh, you. Do you have anything to promote before we... Softball Strength Academy. Softball Strength Academy is our company, so that's at Softball Strength Academy on Instagram. Uh, at uh, Velo University for anything that you're looking at, or Velo period University for anything throwing is our uh, other company. And then the parent company, Athletes Warehouse, uh, is where we find anything strength and conditioning based. So we have strength, conditioning, hitting, and throwing all three corners. Perfect. All right. Great job today, Cass. We will talk to everybody next week. Thank you for listening and watching. Take care. Bye.